This week marks the 100th anniversary of the birth of our dear foundress, Mother Mary Angelica. Tonight, we'll honor her life and legacy in a special tribute featuring some people who knew her best, Father John Paul Mary of the Franciscan Missionaries of the Eternal Word and the poor Clares of Our Lady of Solitude Monastery in Arizona, Mother Marie Andre and Sister Marie St. Paul. The World Over begins right now. Now, Raymond Arroyo. A warm welcome to all of you joining us in the United States and the world over. If you'd like to comment on tonight's show, send me a tweet. I'm at Raymond Arroyo. Let's go. So much to cover, and this is a special night. This week, Mother Mary Angelica would have been 100 years old. It is hard to believe that it's been seven years since she left us. On March 27th of 2016, Mother went to her reward. Mother Angelica is, of course, the first woman in the history of broadcasting to found and lead a television network, the founder of a few religious orders, and an inspiration to millions. Tonight, I wanted to celebrate her centenary with some of the sisters and a priest of her order, all of whom knew her personally. For those who might not remember, Mother Angelica came down to Birmingham, Alabama in the early 60s to found a monastery to pray for racial healing. But once she arrived in Birmingham, God led her down a different path. She began to speak at a woman's Bible study. Then she started a tape and book ministry. Soon she was traveling the country, spreading the word and a few laughs along the way. You want to take Abraham? Do you have any idea when you read that beautiful scripture? Do you ever put guts into it and blood? Or is it just a little story you read? So isn't it wonderful? Abraham had faith. Three cheers. <laughs> Do you really know what he did? Do you know what happened to him? Here's a man, 90 years old. 90. Anybody here 90 years old? See, nobody 90 would even come tonight. <laughs> And here's Abraham sitting near his tent, probably doting. <laughs> and he hears a voice and it says, Abraham. father of a great nation. <laughs> huh? 
You shall be the father of a great nation. Here's Sarah. <laughs> Listening. She goes, yeah. <laughs> you know what she's thinking? She's thinking whoever that is doesn't know. have been something else. <laughs> Some women are so naggy. I bet she kept saying every three, four months, hey, I told you, I told you, I told you. Soon mother was on Christian television. And the monastery is there now. Right. That mm -hmm. you designed, designed on that paper. And on paper, and I brought it down. It took us three months to find land. And I got to tell you this. It took us three months to find land, and when we finally did, uh, the architect, we bought this land, we went up north while he made the engineering plans and came down. He said, Mother, you're going to have to sell that land. And I said, why? He said, because it's like this. <laughs> he said, you don't have money uh, to build the roof, let alone uh, blast that rock. And he said, it's solid rock. We took a core test. I said, no, that's where the Lord wants us. Mm -hmm. He said, you don't understand. You know, men look at women like they were yeah. dodos. You get that? <laughs> you get that? And if you're a nun and a woman, it's worse. <laughs> and eventually she felt God was calling her to found her own television network. Cloistered nuns in television is without question one of the most ridiculous things that could have ever happened. It just evolved. When I went to Channel uh, 38 in Chicago, I walked in that little tiny, tiny studio that I had never seen a studio, a TV studio before. We had already been uh, publicizing books for a couple of years, reaching a lot of people. But I remember standing in the doorway and saying, it doesn't take much to reach the masses. And I said, Lord, I've got to have one of these. She was truly a cable pioneer founding EWTN at nearly the same moment as C-SPAN and CNN were birthed into the world. And her gifts as a spiritual counselor and storyteller were undeniable. Now, many of you know the public side of Mother's Life. You watched her for generations. But tonight, I want to celebrate on this anniversary by focusing on what you may not know about her, the charism of Mother Angelica, her spirituality. Rather than having a group of people reminisce, I wanted to talk to those who knew her intimately and about how they're carrying her spirit and vision into the future. For that, I'm thrilled to be joined by Mother Marie Andre, the abbess of Our Lady of Solitude Monastery in Arizona, and Sister Marie St. Paul, her vicar. Thank you both for being here. Now, um, first of all, you both entered Mother Angelica's monastery and were introduced to religious life by her. Uh, Mother Marie Andre, then sister, what was the thing that struck you most when you first met her, and how did that happen? I, uh, I'm going to go back a few years before that. 
when I was in college, I was overseas studying abroad, but I, th I think at that time she had been on the Joan River show and I wasn't aware of it, although I would have been if I had been in the country. And then um, in the early 90s, my best friend from sixth grade, she entered there and I visited the first time thinking maybe I would work at the network and then the second time uh, for sister's investment. And when I was leaving, I'd met with mother and some of the sisters in St. Joseph's room there at the monastery in Irondale. And I was walking away and she said, you know, we'll take care of you here. And I, my back was facing mm. her when she said that. And I thought, well, what does that mean? You know, it's like, probably not because I don't know if I'll be working here or not. And I left. And then just shortly thereafter, the Lord really called me like a bolt out of the blue. And uh, hmm. then I, you know, a couple months later, I was discerning and I entered that following September. But really what stood out, you know, initially, because I hadn't lived with her yet, uh, was her flexibility, her free spiritedness and her formidability, um, which would, as I lived with her longer, you know, I would get to know her, you know, better. And then two years to the date that I entered, uh, my sibling, but also my sister, she, uh, she entered. Wow, amazing. And sister, what about you? I was intimidated, and, uh, but excited. And she was really lovely because I told her my whole story and I, I had prayed to the Lord and I said, I will go with whatever Mother Angelica says to me about what she feels for my vocation. And she said, yes, I believe you have a vocation. And so I entered the next year in 1996. So I was a postulant, and Reverend Mother, or Mother Angelica, would go into the chapel and, of course, take her adoration and sit with the Lord. And I was uh, so, I was almost frozen because here I am, I was in this presence of this holy woman, you know, and uh, it was very moving for me when I first entered. And then, of course, I got to know her better, and she was, yeah, Mother Angelica. There's Mother. She's Mother, <laughs> the Madre. Yeah. <laughs> You know, she she was very earthy and and you know and and very um, uh, as as Sister Marie Andre said a moment ago, Mother Marie Andre, her flexibility was something that always impressed me. That ability to sort of be in the present moment and move to whatever the that that moment demanded of her. Um, Mother Marie Andre, talk to me a moment about you know Mother Angelica told me her last mission was to found new foundations, new monasteries. And you all were really the first to apprehend that call. What of her example did you take with you to Arizona? Uh, of course, you know, I lived with her for 10 years. And initially, you know, I, I figured I would just be staying put, first in Irondale. And then, of course, we moved up to the monastery in Hansville. And then um, I, you know, some of us felt like the Lord was or believe that the Lord was telling us, I want you to go on foundation. And she had talked about it before that uh, he would right. spread the sisters like petals. And so um, we prayed about it. And at, at this time she had had her uh, brain hemorrhage, but she was still, you know, she could still talk to us and, and pray with us. And so um, really what struck me was, of course, she encountered a lot of difficulties, but she always trusted in God's will. And um, she would say, you know, with that trust was putting one foot forward, but having that queasy feeling in your stomach. 
And of course, um, trusting, he, she always trusted in his divine providence. That's a particular charism for our order. And one said to me, what happens if you fail? And I said, I'm not afraid to fail. But I'll tell you what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of dying. And have the Lord say to me, Angelica, this is what you might have done had you trusted more. I'm afraid of that. Very afraid. And of course, founding, you know, going on foundation that we've always had to do. And, you know, there have been times where we have like, we have stepped over, our foot is over the cliff. And I say, okay, Lord, you going to catch me now? Or do you want me to jump, jump off completely? And, uh, then he gives me a little nudge over the side. Um, but, you know, mother did the same thing and she would always live to tell about it. And so um, it's like you know, she always put and still that in us. She he will take care of you. And, and he has. Yeah. He has. And, and Mother Marie Andre, uh, uh, you had a cancer struggle at the time when you were seeking permission to start this foundation. That couldn't have been an easy walk for you at that moment. I did, and I, I, you know, at the time, um, I thought, well, that's probably not a sign that you know we're we're called to go. If I'm if I'm you know going through cancer and taking medicine for it, chemo, radiation, and of course, I should have known. You know, that's not how the Lord works. It's through the sufferings and it's through the weaknesses, uh, not. Uh, despite the weaknesses, but because of our weaknesses that he asks us to do um, certain jobs for him, you know. And so, um, and and it wasn't easy, you know. It, there's always difficulties in anything that the Lord asks us to do. I mean, just look at Mother with the founding of the network. So anything that the Lord wills for us, it's going to be, he, he just doesn't make it easy, you know, in his mysterious way. Um but I did have, you know, and I, I don't have a lot of mystical experiences, but uh, I did have a dream uh, with mother. It was after she had had her stroke and she was in her wheelchair and she, we were in this, the station's hallway in Hansville and she was sitting in her wheelchair towards the door of the chapel and she called me by my baptismal name, Megan. She said, Megan, come here. So I went to her in my dream and I knelt at her, you know, there sitting in the wheelchair and she said, you will go, you will go. And so mm. I woke up and I said, well, okay. And so from there on, you know, some of the doors closed, but then the windows open and we have to be pretty limber and flexible to climb through the windows <laughs> because the doors shut. And um, that's what we've, what we've been doing. And if you're here at the site yeah. in the desert where there was nothing but desert scrub and uh, cacti, you'll see it's amazing what he's done out here. And the Lord's done it all. You bet. No, it's incredible. And Sister St. Paul, what did she teach you? Um, and, and how do you think she prepared you to begin this new foundation in the desert? I remember one time when I was a novice, we were at lesson and she said to me, when you're planning to die to yourself, Sister Marie St. Paul, or when you need to die to yourself, think of souls, souls, souls. And I've never forgotten it. That's been my motto. So, yeah, she was such an inspiration. Tough, tough. Yeah. yeah. 
incredible. No, no, that was she. She was tough, you know. And, and people see the kind of smiling, happy mother. There was also the tough mother who got all this stuff done and was not always easy to be around. Let's face it, she kicked down walls and <laughs> knocked people out of the way when they were in the way of her mission too. Uh, what is her charism, Sister Maria? Andrew? I'll ask both of you this: What is her charism in your estimation? And what lingers now in the foundation that you all have uh, grown in the desert? I would say it's trust and uh, trust in the Lord and his divine providence. Uh, because, you know, we're poor Claire nuns. Um, we pretty much are at the Lord's beck and call. Um, and he provides everything for us. And, you know, I saw it midway through because the, the network had started, you know, it had already been going for about, 11 years, 12 years, but even being mm -hmm. present in Irondale and then with the construction of the monastery in Hansville. And then when we were called out here, you know, we had a truck and we came out, but we didn't have a property yet and we didn't have a chapel. So all those things, the Lord provided for us incrementally. And, uh, you know, there are times where are like, Lord, is this going to work? Uh, is this, mm. this is very <laughs> difficult. And, um, but, you know, he helped mother, he helps everybody that, uh, you know, trust in him and, and ask for assistance. We have our lady, we have St. Joseph, we have all the angels and saints, the Holy Souls and Purgatory. We have our team. So, um, it's not a matter of if it's just a matter of when it's going to happen. And it's the Lord's timing. Mm. You know, he has a particular, clock that he follows and uh, we have to be patient and and follow him you know with it uh, it's yeah. it's tempting sometimes to jump way ahead of him and then look back and say are you coming lord but uh, i've done that and i've mm. you know i realized oops <laughs> i got to walk back backtrack and uh, <laughs> you know join up with him and wait wait upon him and he has always he always comes through yeah. No, she would always say, you know, divine providence, the providence of God is just to take that next step. He doesn't show you the whole path, but his grace is in the going, in the steps that you take. And that's hard. Let's face it. And, it, and it's, it's hard not to run ahead or linger behind. Uh, Sister uh, Marie St. Paul, your, your take on this, uh, of what a mother's charism do you find yourself returning to or reminding yourself of? Well, I, she really stressed conformity with Christ to us and in her suffering, especially the last 15 years of her life, just the fruit of suffering. It's so easy to forget the cross, even though you're met with it every day. And she really, she really stressed about embracing the cross and how it will make us like Christ. And when we die, the father will see our Lord in us. And that's really what I've taken from my time with her. And then of course, seeing her example with her suffering you know, those last few years. Yeah. yeah. What, what, what is Mother Angelica's legacy, Sister Marie Andre, in your opinion? I mean, she was feisty. She, she was willing to fight for the faith and use the platforms that she had helped create to advertise orthodoxy. How did that mark you all? Did it? I, I think, you know, not just with the, the sisters, but everybody that she reached through the network, just with her love for the Lord, you know, she made him accessible. And a lot of people have shared with us that when she was on the television, you know, on the camera, it was like she was just speaking to them individually. And to me, 
there's a holiness to that, that people, they can hear the Lord speaking through her. Um, and she was, because she was down to earth, she was flexible. She, she did make uh, our Lord accessible that, you know, he's not up in the clouds somewhere far away. And he, he's, he's aware he has a plan. He knows us. He knows us individually. He loves us. And I understand that's hard to, um, kind of take on when you're struggling or going through terrible difficulty or grief, but she, in her, you know, her humanness. Yeah. In her humanness, she would just let us know that, you know what, the Lord, he, he really does love us. It's in a way she was like a mediator to let us know that yeah. it's okay. And he's here, he's present. And then of course, providing all the different services through the network, you know, the different shows, mm-hmm. all of her writings, um, of course, living with her in the monastery, you know, when she would give us lesson with the scriptures, she would bring it so much to life, so much so that I would go and get my Bible. And I'm like, wait a minute, I have a different Bible than what she was reading from because <laughs> she just brought it. It just, the, the, you know, the apostles, they jumped out of the page and she, she really was an exegete. She just, you know, she, I, I think too, she just knew certain details about the, the, the apostles and the saints that the Lord probably told her personally and, um, and she shared that with us, you know, which it, it just drew us closer, drew us closer. Of course, we're living in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament, but just drawing us closer to the sacred heart of Jesus. Absolutely. No, well, look, her spirit shines in both of you. Um, and, and I do think you, you, you know, I, I chronicled mother leaving Canton and going to Birmingham and then going to Hansville, but people don't realize the struggle, the heartache, the, the, the blocks and the obstacles that present themselves in doing that. It looks sweet when it's over. It's a hard path to actually make it happen. You all have done something similar in her spirit (laughs) and carried it to the other edge of the nation. So God bless you. Thank you for being with us. Uh, Reverend Mother Marie Andre, Sister Marie St. Paul, I thank you both for being here and, and keep us in your prayers, please. Thank you. Thank you, Raymond. God bless you. And look for more information on our desert nuns. You can visit their website at the Poor Clares of Our Lady of Solitude Monastery. They're at desertnuns.com. I want to share with you a bit of Mother's willingness to defend the traditions and the teachings of the Church, even when some wanted to take things in a very different direction. Mother Angelica was at heart a traditionalist, and factions in the Catholic Church were moving in their own direction, often battling Pope John Paul II and taking issue with his teaching. In 1993, things came to a head for Mother Angelica. She excitedly partnered with the U.S. Bishops' Conference to broadcast World Youth Day from Denver. But when a woman, a mime, assumed the role of Jesus in the Stations of the Cross, Mother had had enough. This moment would change her life and the life of her network forever. It's blasphemous that you dare try to portray Jesus as a woman. You know, as Catholics, we've been terribly quiet all these years. After Vatican Council, those beautiful documents inspired by the Holy Spirit, 
They're so beautiful when you read those documents like reading scripture. But they were misrepresented and misportrayed and misinterpreted all these years. And every excuse like this mime had been blamed on the Vatican documents. I'm tired. I'm tired of being pushed in corners. I'm tired of your inclusive language that refuses to admit the Son of God is a man. I'm tired of your tricks. I'm tired of your deceit. I'm tired of you constantly just making a crack. And then the first thing you know, there's a hole, and all of us fall into it. No. This was deliberate. You made a statement. That was not accidental. And this is just as much a lie as the lies we got last night. I am so tired of you liberal church in America. You see this collar? We had this little modern collar so that we would really appeal to this modern world, this pagan society. Am I bitter? No. But I'm being realistic. We're going to change it. We're going to look very Roman. Because I'm making a statement. You've hidden your agenda with a mime. My agenda is not hidden. But I have yet to hear anyone contradict you or cross you or say anything to distress you. Well, I'm saying it. I'm saying it. I say it as an individual who has a right before God to be Catholic, and I resent. I resent your pushing your ways and your anti-Catholic, ungodly ways upon the masses of this country. Live your life. Live your falsehood. Live your lies. Leave us alone. Do what you want to do. You have that privilege from God himself. But don't pour your poison, your venom, on all the church. In November of 1997, Mother continued to advocate for orthodoxy. For Angelica, the spouse she lived for and loved, Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament, was not a concept or a theological idea to be considered, but a person to be adored and defended. This helps to explain her indignation when she read a pastoral letter on the Eucharist by Cardinal Roger Mahoney of Los Angeles. She found the content of the letter to be confusing and vexing. She casually referenced this letter at the end of her live show, sitting right here one night, oh, and accidentally crossed a canonical one. line. When the average layperson, long forgotten whatever catechism they learn, are told that there's no need for confession, there's no need for baptism, there, there's not really a body and blood, soul, and divinity. In fact, the Cardinal of California is teaching that it's bread and wine before the Eucharist and after the Eucharist. Uh, I'm afraid my obedience in that diocese would be absolutely mm. zero. 
And I hope everybody else is in that diocese. It's zero. Cardinal Mahoney took offense at those comments and demanded that Mother apologize and clarify her statement. Mother gave it to him. So I do want to apologize to the Cardinal for my remark, which I'm sure seems excessive. But he has asked me for clarification. And this is what I would like to do this evening. This is my opinion, and this is how I saw it when I read it. What came through to me was the principal focus in this letter of assembly, the concentration on assembly, all the people in the church, rather than the Eucharist. So I felt the letter was unclear to what the church teaches about the real presence, body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. At one point, she raised questions about Cardinal Mahoney's assertion that Jesus' presence was in the simple gifts of bread and wine. Watch this. I'm a simple woman. And I don't understand this, you see. So does that mean Christ is present before the consecration in the bread and wine? Is that what it means? Or does it mean that he is present after the consecration? Well, if he's present after the consecration, in what way? Did he just kind of hop into the bread and wine, but it's still bread and wine? Or has it become his body and blood. Well, if it's still bread and wine, why would I adore him? Why would I kneel and prostrate myself between what to, to bread and wine? That commentary would cost her dearly, I'm sorry to say. I want to bring in Father John Paul Mary of the Franciscan Missionaries of the Eternal Word. This is the male order that Mother Angelica founded. Well, not the male order, but the non-female order that she founded. You don't order them in the mail. Uh, thank you for being with us, Father. What do you think of when you watch those bold commentaries that really, uh, with Mother Angelica, they would sort of emerge out of the moment and uh, it, it it startled and arrested the attention of anyone watching. Well, I think you know this. There's a lot of people who watch that uh, clip of World Youth Day uh, just to get fired up. There's a, a group of seminarians for a <laughs> diocese that every year they gather together. I think they probably do this after they're ordained too, just just to just to get fired up, just to be taught and be encouraged by Mother. I think a lot of people don't know that when that happened. The night before she went on television, after she saw um, that blasphemous act, really, um, of the Station of the Cross, that Jesus being played by a woman, she cried all night long in her room. And not a lot of people know that she, she when, when someone attacks Jesus Christ personally, Mother Angelica took it as a direct attack on her. You are attacking her spouse. So... I think you have to understand a lot behind Mother Angelica in order to get really at the heart of her. Yeah, no, and you're right. I, somewhere in one of the books, I, I, I wrote that she, when she saw Jesus' name taken in vain or a blasphemous movie, it, it was as if she, you were attacking 
her Italian spouse, yep. and she was going to take you on. No, you don't do and that. And she did. How has Mother Angelica shaped your ministry and work directly? Well, since I first entered the community, um, during postulancy, during novitiate, we're always watching Mother Angelica live uh, classics, mm. uh, reruns, and that really, it was always striking for me because I really didn't grow up watching EWTN. I really didn't get to know Mother Angelica until I came down to enter the friary and became a Franciscan in 2004. So unlike some of our other friars and you who got to really interact with her and to know her, to know her personally, to have conversations with her, mm -hmm. I knew a different side of mother. I knew a really a silent mother, um, a mother after her strokes. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, and I want to talk about that in a moment because sure. there was, people don't realize that 15 year span, mm. she continued to teach a great deal during that period. What did you observe? What did she communicate to you in that silent ministry, if you will? Her grand silence, I called it. Well, I think you say this in your book and in a lot, a lot of the, the talks that you've given on Mother, that Mother Angelica could speak so eloquently because she spent so much time in silence. She spent so much time before the Eucharistic Lord in silence contemplating Him and loving him. And I think during those years of her silence where the Lord took away her ability to communicate, you can see, I think, a, a correlation with the life of St. John Paul II, the suffering that they, that, that um, entailed in their life. When we used to go back into the parlor and um, we used to kind of wait for Mother Angelica to say something. Uh, the sisters would kind of try and egg her on to say, Mother, do you have anything to say to your sons, uh, to your friars? And, mm -hmm. and then we were all sitting around. Everything got quiet. The sisters were waiting for her. The friars were waiting for her. And she would, she'd be thinking. I, it's like she knew what she wanted to say. And then all of a sudden her fist, she clenches her fist, and she pounds it down on her wheelchair and a frustration, a look of frustration. She knew what she wanted to communicate at that point, but she couldn't get it across. And yeah. I think I saw her in those years, um, in, the, in the years after her strokes, there was kind of a, a frustration in her not being able to talk. But I think as the years yeah. went along, maybe 10 years later, there was more of a childlike feature in here, kind of like an, a docility, yeah. like almost, I'd like to say, an acceptance of what the Lord had permitted in her life. And she really mm -hmm. kind of embodied, she taught that to us through the television, permitted suffering. Um, so I think she had to, she really embodied what she taught at the end of her life. She certainly did. She certainly did. And you're right. At the beginning, she resisted it. You know, even when they, the sisters would try to change her or change the bed linens and things, and she would fight them. Wow. Um, you know, you, she, that, that spunk was in evidence. And as time went on, she abandoned herself to the moment and to the suffering. But I do recall there was one time when, I, you know, I'd go visit her on the weekends. I'd just go see her. And we would sit, and as you'd say, there'd be huge gaps of silence. And I'd read her letters from people. We'd talk about what was happening in the church. She'd laugh at the right moments, so I knew she was taking it all in. 
And one day she grabbed my hand and in clear as a bell, and it was the only line she said, she said, you don't know how frustrating it is not to be able to speak to communicate. And then she wanted to go on but couldn't. The words abandoned her. And um, I often thought what a penance, what a suffering that was for somebody who had spent her life sharing the word and, and, and uh, sharing her personal stories and those of others to not have that ability anymore. But, you know, her spunk father and her advocacy were not confined to the church. She took that message to the wider culture as well. I mean, the nuns mentioned a moment ago, you know, she was on the Joan Rivers show. She was on bloopers and practical jokes. She was in the culture. And when The Last Temptation of Christ, uh, the Scorsese movie, hit cinemas, Mother considered it blasphemous. So she went on Larry King's show to let the world know her feelings, and she faced off with movie lobbyist Jack Valenti. Would you like your children to be depicted? Well, just a minute, Mother. I, you have a daughter? I take, I, you I have take, a daughter? Just a minute. I'll tell you something. You have a daughter. We, my wife and I were very stern about what films and books our children ah. read. But I did not, I must tell uh -huh. you in all honesty, I uh -huh. did not allow anyone in the church or in the school to tell my wife and me how to raise our children. If movie you like your daughter depicted on the movie as a prostitute, if would she you was permit? An actress, uh, mm -hmm. an I didn't say crap. that. I mean her real person as your daughter. Would you well, like her sue. depicted as a prostitute? Well, I could probably sue. So I guess. Mm -hmm. I ah, then you would say it was wrong. Mark, I would never want. I would never say you can't do that because I think uh, that's prior censorship. As a father, you would have to say, "I do. I will not have my daughter depicted as a prostitute because I know my, mother, my daughter and she's a good mm -hmm. woman." Uh, don't tell me that. Poor Jack Valenti didn't stand a chance. He should have called me. Uh, Father John Paul, tell me about the private side of mother the one you knew later in life, what did she teach you about suffering as you watched her in this silence? I think acceptance. Acceptance of trials. Acceptance of, of, of just every day. Um, I think suffering is really at the heartbeat of the church. Um, of We're just coming out, really, of Easter. Um, and you really need to understand the passion of Christ in order to get to the resurrection. There's no resurrection. There's no glory without suffering. And so I think in her life, just being close to her and hearing of the other sisters talk about her life and, and some of our other friars, Father Anthony will talk about her often, Father Joseph, and hearing them talk about lessons that they passed on, that they heard from her on their Wednesday audience. Uh, before Mother Angelica's live shows on Wednesday nights, Mother Angelica would have a Wednesday audience with them, kind of like preparation for what I'm going to talk about on Wednesday night, maybe. So yeah. I think, yeah, it had to be suffering and acceptance, acceptance of trials. Mm. And I think that's what she communicated to the wider audience and why so many people gravitated to her and still to this day continue to gravitate to her because she's so real. Yeah. No, she, she understood. And they also knew that she had been through the same fires they were enduring right. of abandonment and heartache and right. divorce and, uh, you know, uh, uh, relatives walking away, people ignoring you, poverty, all of those things she'd encountered in her personal life. So when she got in front of the camera, 
This wasn't an actress. This is somebody who had been there. Mm -hmm. And I think that realism, that authenticity, resonated with a lot of people, continues to resonate. Even in, even in her passing, the message goes on. Her word and the word continues on. Uh, Father, I want to play this for you. A few years ago, I spoke to Sister Michael, uh, Sister Gabriel, yeah. who really have been with Mother their entire lives, right. um, about living with her in those last years. Listen. She suffered so beautifully all her life, you know, and uh, especially now she just uh, so um, resigned to God's will and united to God's will and so, you know, serene and uh, um, I, <laughs> you just have to really live with her to know uh, how much she's uh, meant to us. When the Lord asks her uh, something, she always say yes. So she is uh, united her suffering to his and unite his, her will with his. Father, you were at the last mass celebrated hmm. for Mother Angelica. Tell me about that day. Well, Easter Sunday, um, the year of mercy. Um, it's amazing. It's been, what, seven years, right? Um, seven years. And I remember Easter Sunday, I was celebrating mass and the televised mass, and we got a phone call uh, text from Mother, um, at the time, uh, uh, Mother Dolores, um, and she was saying that Mother is not doing well, it looks like she's going to pass, and then I got in the car, I drove right up to Hansville, um, went into the back cloister, and I started praying the rosary with the sisters, started praying the Divine Mercy Chaplet, and Father Pascal came back, and we can celebrate a Mass together, Mother's last Mass, we took a makeshift altar, um, and even those masses that, that I had with Mother Angelica, I should say, were just very reverent. Um, we always wanted to try, we always celebrate the Mass reverently, I believe. Um, and, but I think celebrating the Mass so close to somebody that's suffering, um, bringing the, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of the Lord down on the altar, you know, next to somebody who is on their deathbed, getting ready to go meet the Lord, I will never forget it. I mean, that was one of the most powerful Masses I've been at. All the sisters were there around her, and to watch her receive Holy Communion uh, for the last time under the form of the precious blood, um, and then five hours later for her to pass on to eternal life. I have to say that a lot of people were very sad when Mother Angelica went home to go to the Lord, but Raymond, I have to say that I didn't have one ounce of sadness. I was, I was so happy mm. because I had seen a lady who suffered and who embodied really every, the message that she taught. But when she passed, it was like the, the Easter joy. And that whole week long, mm. whole octave long, when we celebrate the funeral mass, um, I was happy. I saw people crying down that she was passed away. But I have to say, I was happy. I was happy that she had gone to meet her spouse, the one that she lived for and died for. Yeah, yeah. No, no, well, it was clear. And she, she suffered horribly those last years. I mean, we, we, people don't fully understand. And, you know, I only scratched the surface of what she, she went through during those last years. It was pretty horrific. Well, I, I, mean, I think you know, also... Physically, what she went through. I think also for her not for not, her not being able to communicate and to talk about what was going on in the church, too. Mm -hmm. She probably knew a lot of what was going on in the church, 
and she, she probably wanted to communicate with her family at home to give them support, to, to give them a spiritual growth, because this network, it, and to her, this is a spiritual growth network. Hmm. That is true. No, that's how she envisioned it in the beginning, as a spiritual growth network, and that's what it is. Uh, Father, how would you describe the charism of Mother Angelica, and how does it continue? I think the charism really, I mean, I think a lot of things, but Eucharistic adoration. I mean, now we're in this context of Eucharistic revival. Mother Angelica was way ahead of mm -hmm. that, way ahead of that. Um, her, her whole life flowed from the Eucharist. Everything that she did, everything, every word she spoke flowed from her love of, of the Blessed Sacrament of the Holy Eucharist and flowed back to it. Raymond, I think that when she had her healing in her late teen years, Mother, mm. as you recount in your book, that it wasn't so much the, the physical healing. Mother knew that she was healed physically when she went down, obviously, and she told you know, her mother, fry me up a pork chop, I wanna eat it. You know, she knew yeah. that she was healed, but there was something more going on. She knew that she was healed and loved internally. She knew that God knew her and had a vested personal interest in her. And I think that's mm -hmm. really at the heartbeat of her life and her charism. Everything that she wanted to communicate to the world was that, was that she wanted other people to know that God who had communicated himself to her in that healing when she was a late teenager. She wanted the yeah. whole world to know who Jesus yeah. Christ was. And it's amazing how that story continues to ripple through her life. I mean, it's a series of physical liabilities and setbacks, and then these healings. I mean, right up until the end where she's, you know, she's taking the braces off her legs and can walk again, you know, very late in the game, after the Mahoney bite you heard earlier, which, again, I think was a consolation, and that's how she read it, that it was a message for the people. It was to give her a little more... Uh, uh, extension and freedom to continue her mission before he took her in a very different direction. And so, I, you know, she I, was very attentive to the will of God, sure. but it wasn't without suffering and difficulties. Sure. I heard that after her healing, when she would take, take off the braces and she was walking around the monastery grounds, that she was walking around and people were walking up to her and, Mother, you're healed. You're, isn't this a great, isn't this wonderful news? And she, and she kind of, she didn't shrug it off. And she, she basically said, well, he's God. He can do anything. She wasn't really surprised. Mm -hmm. you know, she, she just, she took it as his will. Yeah, she accepted it. Yeah. Father John Paul, I thank you so much for being here, for sharing uh, your, your mission, your heart, um, and remembering our dear mother. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. For my part, when Mother died, uh, I felt as if a bright light had retreated from my life for a while. Um, and I knew that we would never see a figure, certainly in the Catholic context, that would merge holiness, spunk, and joy with great storytelling and a sense of humor. It seems to me that's the mark of the apostles. They were not these boring figures who dragged around depressing people. They were on fire. Even when they were beaten up and abused and punished for speaking the truth, they went on with joy. 
One of my fondest memories of my time with Mother Angelica was after her stroke, with half of her face paralyzed, she returned to the airwaves to continue her mission. We were together for an hour or so today. We made your Christmas show, right? Right. I right. thought it was great. Oh, it was great. We had a good time. Oh, we had a great time. All kind of treats. Uh, yeah, nice. I was uh, absolutely floored at your amount of knowledge. <laughs> wait, wait. What's this little? What's that? Oh, I want something in a little while, and I thought I would bump it up a little bit. See what I have to deal with? <laughs> you never had it so good. <laughs> You're right. God's pirate. How many souls do you think she plundered for him, I wonder? On Reverend Mother Angelica's centenary, I remember the fun, the zeal of this woman who was so on fire with God's word, so convinced of its truth that she had to share it with others, no matter the cost. And most of all, I love that she did it with laughter, with unfettered joy. Let's face it, most people, whether in the church or out of it, are either boring or a bad time. Mother Angelica was neither. Raymond's with me, and it's his birthday. Do you know what? How old are you? I'm not telling you how old I am. <laughs> well, do you want me to tell you how old you look? Oh, oh. <laughs> you really want to know? Well, guess. Uh, if it's honest. Well, I'll tell you the truth if you can guess it. But good could you be? Is it that I difficult? I could say you're 30, but no, you can't be 30. Why 40? not? 40? 40? <laughs> 40? What's wrong with 40? I was bit older than me. I what was... do you mean? <laughs> 40. It was 40 once. Yeah, but I'm not even close to 40, though. Well, how would I know? You don't tell me, so I'm guessing. My goodness. All right, if you're not 40 okay. and you're not 30, you got to be between. 31. Oh, really? 31. That's all you are. Yeah. And I'm aging by the minute. I so loved being with her. The spiritual lesson she gave me is easy, the one that I use almost every day of my life, if not every day. Live in the present moment, not in yesterday or tomorrow, but right here, fully in the present moment. Because as she told me so many times, God's will is manifested to us in the duties and the responsibilities of the present moment. His love is in this present moment. But so often, we ignore it. She never did. That is how most of you haven't heard it. This woman calls me up and she says, oh... My husband's living with another woman. In my house. What? <laughs> well, kick him out. <laughs> How are you going to say that nice? <laughs> you could say, well, how unfortunate. You know? <laughs> Why don't you just open the door and <laughs> tell him to leave? You can't say it nice. It's not a nice thing. So after I said that little, gave her that little advice, she said, oh, I can't. What do you mean you can't? They have no place to go. <laughs> 
Well, hell is where they're aiming for. <laughs> Tell them to go there. <laughs> you air these people? And I said, no, I won't, because I don't think they're Catholic. He says, by what right do you have to say that? I said, I own the network. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, well, you won't always be there. And I said, I'll blow the damn thing up before you get your hands on it. <laughs> so they caught you on a good day. <laughs> yeah, on a good day. We want to pray for all our callers tonight and all of you that need Jesus. Please come back. All of you living outside the faith, all of you living in sin, Please come back. All of you who haven't been to confession for years and years, please come home. He's waiting in that tabernacle, even if you can't find it. He's there somewhere. Today we play hide and seek, you know. He's hiding and we're seeking, so. <laughs> you feel in some churches you're going to say, uh, hey, uh, where are you, Lord? Not here. Mm -mm. You see him as you open the door. Remember, he's waiting for you. Bye now. Dear Reverend Mother Mary Angelica, we miss you, I miss you every day. May you continue to rest in power and peace and remember those you left behind. <laughs> for more on Mother's incredible life and spirituality, there's a new edition of Mother Angelica, The Remarkable Story of a Nun, Her Nerve and a Network of Miracles. It includes a new foreword by yours truly. And for the first time in years, the complete audiobook with new material is available at Audible from Random House. The new edition of Mother Angelica's biography is also at EWTN's catalog, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever books are sold, and the three books of her spirituality that I edited I think are pretty special. And, of course, the sequel to her biography, Her Grand Silence, The Last Years and Living Legacy of Mother Angelica, is incredibly moving. It details those last 15 years um, that, that I think are, are so important to her entire mission. Details are at RaymondArroyo.com. And, of course, The Unexpected Light of Thomas Alva Edison, the first in my Turnabout Tales series, is also available in bookstores everywhere and online. And I have one signing coming up at the Barnes & Noble in Brentwood, the Cool Springs Barnes & Noble near Nashville, Saturday, May 6th at 11 o'clock. All the details are at RaymondArroyo.com. And, of course, the book is available through the EWTN catalog. That is all the time we have for now. Be sure to catch us next week. Until then, we'll be scouting the world over for all that is seen and unseen. On behalf of the staff and crew of EWTN News, thank you for joining us. I'm Raymond Arroyo. 
Bye now. Thank you.